Good morning. How many's coffee has already kicked in? Well, then I'll help you out if, you, if it hasn't helped yet. <laughs> it's good to be back here. Uh, Treve and I used to go to church here back in the day, uh, not long after uh, we first moved to Boston, and uh, lived in, on School Street just down the road here, and found a home here. It's a beautiful spirit here. Honestly, I, I think we've got good praise and worship at our church, and then I come here, and I'm like, oh, that's what it is, Yeah. I love it when Smith is on the worship team. I'm glad you were up here today. That's awesome. Brittany and Smith are really good friends of ours, and um, appreciate your friendship. And uh, miss you guys so bad. I'm glad we get to hang out a little bit today. It's really good. I'm not sure how to begin. Um, uh, there's, there's been some changes here. I've been in this building before. I don't know some of your faces, um, but there was a strong word that came forth this morning. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if at least one person was called to be a missionary this morning. Uh, and if somebody else here is questioning whether that was for them, um, you know, God was saying, what are you waiting for? <laughs> so... Um, I want to be careful um, to not add to or take away from that. I, I just want to affirm that word that went forth this morning. Also, in worship, um, there's just a really sweet spirit here. Um, and there's a strong anointing here. So I, I think there may be some people here who aren't necessarily that accustomed to that or what the Holy Spirit might be doing. And some of you are super seasoned and you're like, yeah, I know what that's all about and I'm comfortable and I'm with it and I hear from the Lord and stuff. And other of you are kind of like, what's going on? What was that? Why did that lady come forth and get on the mic and sound really scary and, you know, like, and get really loud? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, you know, when you're reading the Bible, uh, you, can, you can read it as a history book or you can read it as a love letter. And God is intimately interested in you. And you may not have felt like that when you first walked in the room, but man, he, he really has his eye on you. There's some people in this room, he's like dealing with you right now. And I've got, I've got scriptures I want to preach and things I want to share with you, but Wow, the Holy Spirit wants to touch some people this morning, and He is. I just want to make sure that that you're tuned in, man. If you're if you're if you need to turn the channel a little bit, He He's trying to talk. He's trying to talk to you. I was on my way out of the church. I, I grew up going to church three days a week, and. Uh, I never encountered the Holy Spirit, and my parents uh, never talked about Jesus in the home. We never read the Bible together. I just, I thought it was religion. I thought it was weak. I thought it was irrelevant to my life. Uh, luckily, we started going to a different church where there's some people there my age. That's always a plus. <laughs> uh and I had this Sunday school teacher that was like our Christian education. It was before the service. 
I was in this little class, and Marilyn uh, was our teacher, and she was going through an Andrew Murray book on prayer. How many knows who Andrew Murray is? Anyone in the room? You should read Old Dead People. They've got a lot of relevant things to say to this generation. And the cool thing about it is a lot of the old dead people is non-copyright, so you can get all that good stuff for free on Kindle and Google Books. Read Andrew Murray. Anyway, then she started talking about Jesus like he was her best friend. And I was, I was taken aback from that. And then some of, the, some of the people my age were like starting to check that out and starting to come into a relationship with God. And I, luckily, I was able to um, belong to the group without believing everything. That's kind of a cool thing is you can like, like check it. You know, you can dip your toe in the pool. Is it, is it warm enough? No, you just need to jump in, right? <laughs> and so I got a chance to belong to this group without believing everything. But the more I rubbed shoulders with these people, the more I was like, man, they've got something that I want. They've got a depth to them that I need. And they've got an encounter with, with the Holy Spirit that I crave. And I'll never forget the first time that I tasted and saw that the Lord was good and that it wasn't just religion. And we had a little small uh, classroom that we, there was no prayer meetings happening at the church at that time. And we went in, we just decided, you know what? Uh, if, if there's a creator, then I'm a creation and there must be a reason why I was created. Surely the creator wants relationship with me. And so let's just seek him till he comes. Hosea, I found that later because I'd never really read the Bible for myself. But Hosea says to seek the Lord till he comes and reigns on you. So we met early and we just began to seek the Lord. And it was kind of new to me too. Like how do you pray? How do you worship? And we started just tuning in to the Lord. And I'll never forget that first touch that I felt from the Holy Spirit. And the only thing I've always, and I've always described it this way, it felt like um, the air grew thick with his presence. Like you're at the bottom of a pool and you see no water, but you feel the resistance. That was my first encounter with the Holy Spirit. And everybody reacted differently. Everybody reacted. Because if you plug your, if you plug your finger into a light socket, you're going to react. Some people might jiggle a little more than other people, <laughs> but you're going to do something. Oh, and then from then on, it was difficult for me to doubt. It was much harder for me to doubt. It didn't mean I never did doubt, but it was difficult for me to doubt because I knew him. He's a person. He's not a great moral teacher. He didn't leave us room to call him that. He's Lord, and he's real. And just because you haven't encountered him yet doesn't mean that he's not. But listen, you shouldn't leave this room without encountering him because he's here. I'm going to pray for you right now. Let's just open our hearts to the Lord and see what he does.
Would you just pray this prayer with me out loud? Say, dear Jesus, I open myself to you. I open myself completely to you. Holy Spirit, come. Do whatever you want to do. All of my heart is up for grabs for you alone. Oh, Jesus, praise your name. Praise your name. Oh, man. For those of you that know how to pray, would you just be in that attitude of prayer as we go through this? I want to say thank you, first off, for your partnership in the gospel, as Paul said to the Philippians from the first day until now. I left Boston kicking and screaming. Boston's home to 70 schools, 70 universities that need the gospel. We were on about five when I left. We had a bunch left to go. And if it hadn't have been, uh, if, if we hadn't gotten moved on, I was planning to live here for the rest of my life. Lots of work to do here. You guys live in a mission field. You guys live in a mission field. Um. But we felt the Lord calling us out to the University of Massachusetts Amherst. We moved there in 2006 to pioneer campus ministry. Uh, we work with Chi Alpha Christian Fellowship. We're on over 300 campuses in the United States. About 30,000 students call themselves Chi Alpha Nation. So if you go to a, a, a university, any college kids in the room, anybody? Don't call me a kid. Who you calling a kid? I see that hand. One hand. Okay, this is one. One college student. Okay, well, anyway... If you're looking for a great ministry to get involved in, a Chi Alpha, if there's not a Chi Alpha group on your campus, get involved in a Christian fellowship, InterVarsity, Navigators, Campus Crusade for Christ. These are incredible organizations that can help you uh, live for God and thrive on a college campus. But we've been out there since 2006, Pioneer Campus Ministry. I've been doing evangelism and discipleship, worship, you know, the whole deal. Um, and you guys have been an integral part of it, not just in partnering with us uh, and monthly support, but also uh, in helping us get our Freedom Cafe off the ground as well. Uh, we've had teams come out and help renovate the Chi Alpha House and, and help us launch a cafe to fight human trafficking, which has now given over $45,000 to fight human trafficking. We've seen over 500 people get involved as volunteers. Most of the people who work with this are from outside of the church, so it's been a really awesome thing to be able to rub shoulders with all sorts of people from all different backgrounds uh, and a common cause. And so we're not hunting down relationships with the lost. We, we are very much a part of the campus community. And uh, you guys bought our first espresso machine, uh, ripped out basement flooring and uh, painted walls and and giving money and lots of prayers and listen, none of it, none, none of it, this stuff works without without prayer. And there've been a, there, there's been a lot of stuff that we've had to face over the years and that we continue to face because of the kind of ministry that we do. And if there was no backbone of of prayer support, then all of it would come to nothing. So prayer is striking the winning blow, and evangelism is gathering up the results. But appreciate your prayers and your partnership and what you're doing with missions. I want to talk to you, um, this, you heard some of my story, but what you didn't know is that I have black thumbs. I do not have a green thumb at all. Are there any gardeners in the room? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I'm terrible with plants, man. Anything in the house or outside of the house. In fact, trees just kind of fall down uh, at, our, at our house. As I get around them, they just, you know. I know there's strong winds out there, but my goodness, we've had a couple just in the last couple of years. There's this one, I don't know if it's like an elephant leaf or whatever. It's like a tropical plant that's like over by the refrigerator. And we've got animals, and so they'll kick it out of the ground. Just, they'll, they'll kick it out of the ground, or I'll kick it out of the ground. The other thing has been just beat up. We finally gave up on it. But not too good with planting. But we decided, you know what? What if we give gardening a real try? What if we really went by the book, you know, the whole deal? And uh, I became, uh, I, I was a murderer of plants, but we decided to, to plant a garden that year. And so we took the sunniest part of our backyard, and we started ripping up all of the grass, getting rid of all of the weeds. We put in topsoil. We put in fertilizer. Um, so, I mean, that, we, we went by the book, degrass and weed, add topsoil, fertilizer, water, weed it, keep out the predators. So you got to keep out the bugs and the bunnies. And, uh, and then you get to enjoy the fruits. And so we did it. When we did it by the book, we got what? We, we got the fruits. When I've done it, like just whenever I felt like it or when I did it, whenever it came to mind, not so good. Not so good. But I love tomatoes, and we had those little bitty, those little bitty ones, you know, come out in the morning, just grab a few, bring them back, have them with some eggs. Love that. It actually bore fruit all the way into October. And so it's awesome, but uh, that was because we took chaos and brought order to it. Our backyard was just grass and weeds and wild vines until we brought order to that chaos. And that's exactly the character of God. When you read in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you see God creating the world, but when he first starts with it, it's chaos. And he brings order to chaos. It was uninhabitable. Nobody could live in the way that it was in the beginning. It was uninhabitable for humanity, which was God's highest creation. Genesis 1.27 declares that God's image is to be embedded in both sexes. We bear the image of our creator who brings order out of chaos. Genesis 1.28, God invokes blessing and he calls on both Adam and Eve with a mandate. And their mandate includes these three things. Fruitfulness that grows exponentially. He calls them to fruitfulness. The second one was exploration and settling the land. And the third one was to subdue nature and to care for it. The word there in the Hebrew is mashal. That's where we get the word marshal. We're supposed to be good stewards of it and bring order out of chaos and it mandates, the, the mandates echo what God does in the creation week. He brings something out of nothing. We bring children into the world that didn't exist before, right? He gives shape and order to the world for humans to inhabit. And we subdue and care for nature, which would be uninhabitable otherwise. He creates humanity and gives them mandates. We bear children and train them to carry out a purposeful life. But humanity tends towards chaos without God. Humanity tends towards chaos without God. Genesis 3 through 6 shows that tendency with examples like Cain, who was jealous of his brother Abel, and he killed him. 
And God calls him on it. He says, your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. And he says, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. You've got to get a hold of this chaos. And then it goes on to Lamech in Genesis chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. And Lamech says, if you thought Cain was bad, let me tell you how bad it can get. I'm going to be ten times more, more angry and vengeful as Cain ever was. That's 70 times 7, right? 70 times. I'm going to be worse than Cain ever was. And then in Genesis chapter 6, right at the flood, Noah, who was a preacher of righteousness, and he wasn't too well favored. He didn't have a great ministry. We don't see a lot of people get on the, on the boat. If that was a judge of whether he was a good minister or not, apparently he was terrible. You know, how many people come into the boat? Well, Noah wasn't so hot. But here's what it says about that generation. It had, it had digressed so bad, it said that every, every thought of every person was bent on evil. Every inclination of man's heart was bent on evil all day long. That's how bad it gets because humanity tends towards chaos. It's our default it's our reflex. Without God, we reflex towards chaos. It's what comes natural, but we're called to be supernatural, right? And God continues to reach into a chaotic world to call it to be cultivators, to call those people to be cultivators of order and to fight against chaos. And you see it as he calls Noah, as he calls Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And God continues to grow influence, and he, put, he pronounces blessing and prophetic utterances over Abram and his family. And he says, I'm going to make you a blessing to all peoples. God's heart was never just Israel. It was always everybody. He wants order in the whole earth, not just with Israel, not just with the people of God. He wants peace for the whole earth. And you can see that in those people. But as soon as God is without of an ambassador, chaos ensues. You see God's heart, and we could go through Genesis to Revelation and see God's heart for every nation. I love the diversity at this church. God's heart is for every nation. Even with David and Goliath, you say, well, what does that have to do with missions? Well, God's heart for the nations. This is in 1 Samuel 17, 46 and 47. It says, this is what David is saying. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, talking about Goliath. He says, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine enemy army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. Oppression had gone on and on and on. They had been oppressed for too long and God raised up a deliverer and not just to deliver Israel but to show to the world God's heart for the nations you can see it when Moses you know there arose a king who knew not Joseph and so Pharaoh had a witness for a long time Egypt had a witness for a long time but whenever he discarded the people of God when he discarded the idea of God he began to oppress oppression comes Oppression comes when people move away from God. It's just a natural thing. We tend towards chaos. 
and had gotten so bad he was willing to slaughter babies. Pharaoh was willing to slaughter people for efficiency and for peace. His idea of creating order out of chaos. But God raises up Moses. And even in, as you read about the plagues in Egypt, even, in, even during that time, it sounds, it sounds rough, it sounds harsh, but God, with every one of the plagues, he's actually dismantling a belief in a false god that was taking them down in order, from order to chaos. Every one of those plagues represented a false god and a false ideology and a tendency towards chaos. And even though it was harsh at the time, God is bringing liberation. God is bringing freedom. God is bringing liberty. God is bringing order where there was chaos. He's bringing peace where there was violence. And he's still about that when he can find somebody who'll say yes to his kingdom. Do you yearn for peace? Do you yearn for a common brotherhood, a better community, dignity and respect for all? Missions is the mandate. God sees all of us as broken, all of us in need of restoration. He wants to help us cultivate the gardens of our own heart. And when we start there, then we can move outwards. But there's chaos in this room. There's chaos in some of your minds. There's chaos in some of your homes. There's chaos in some of your finances. And God wants you to come into relationship with him. And when that gets settled, that primary garden of your heart, then order will come to all of those other parts of your life. But you will tend towards chaos until you turn and look at your creator. And when you say yes to him, he will bring order to your mind your heart, and work outwards from there. Everybody wants to have some, everybody wants to fix the world by making the state either red or blue or, or voting on a certain bill to make people respect people, right? We think we can legislate it. We think we can argue for it. This stuff is supernatural. You think peace comes on earth because we elect the right person? I don't care who we vote in. You've got to grease a few hands before you get into some of those positions. Red or blue. My hope is in Jesus for president. I don't care what you vote. Is what I care is who's your Lord. Who do you kneel to? And are you bringing order where there is chaos? We live in a chaotic world. We need order. Not mandated from the outside in but cultivated from the inside out. As soon as God runs out of ambassadors, chaos ensues. Judges 17.6 and chapter 21, verse 25, it says basically the same thing. See, God had that succession of people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, nobody. When you read the book of Judges, it's the saddest book in the Bible because subjective morality ensues, a tendency towards chaos. And it says this a couple times, in those days there was no king, 
and everyone did as they saw fit. Subjective morality. I was on campus not too long, um, not too far into like moving to UMass, and I remember I was talking to a couple of non-dualists. In other words, they didn't believe in right or wrong. They didn't believe in good, good or evil. And I'm like, really, you don't believe in, you don't believe that anything's wrong? They're like, no, not really. You know, when you look in the grand scheme of things, everything kind of works out, kind of yang, kind of yang. I'm like, so, so if somebody shows up on campus with an AK-47, right, they start mowing down people. Or they go into the Mullen Center, right, and they start taking out all the people watching a basketball game. You're telling me that's not, that's not evil? And they said, well, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it could lead to some better gun legislation and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? And so I'm like, what about, okay, you got a cat and you've got an infant, a toddler, a baby in the middle of a road, trucks coming, who do you save? Is it my cat? That's what they said. Is it my cat? Guess what? They became professors at UMass. Some of my students started taking classes from those people. When you move away from the king, you end up in chaos. It's what comes natural. Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end it leads to death. It seems right. It makes sense, but it leads to death. When did anything that come natural lead to anything good, right? Thanksgiving, oh, sure, I'll have another entire turkey. No problem. How about a whole plate full of stuffing? Yeah, pumpkin pie. Give me a whole pumpkin pie, right? Comes natural. Losing weight, you have to say Grandma, no. Supernatural. Paul even said, though my conscience is clear, that doesn't make me innocent. You can't trust your conscience. People feel okay about all kinds of things, and it varies over time. If you sin the same sin enough, you stop feeling bad about it. You start to justify it, and then you applaud other people who champion it. What is tolerated in one generation is applauded in the next and demanded by the next. That's where we're at. The worldly conscience is in direct opposition to God. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and his ways are higher than our ways. And if we want chaos, all we got to do is look the other way and keep doing what comes natural. And we'll tend towards chaos. But God is looking for people who will stand up. God's looking for people who will be ambassadors for him. No God, there is no basis for morality. Nietzsche said it. When he, when he talked about the... When he, when he talked about God being dead, right, he basically said, you know, that's the eradication of any justification for any kind of Christian morality or, 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 or an absolute morality. There's, there's no grounds for it when you take God out of the equation. But I don't think that, I don't think theism is going to help us. I don't think religion is going to help us. I don't think just a belief in God makes you all of a sudden have a concrete foundation in ethics, we need to have a relationship with him. He brings order, not a belief in something or a higher power. You need him. We need him. Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of God to create a new kind of humanity. This is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 15 and, and, and down. He says, 
Paul says his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. I love that. One new humanity. Thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Jesus came to bring a new humanity. He came to usher in the kingdom of God that is now. And he longs for everyone to come to repentance. He wants everyone to have a relationship with him. The the scripture says that God doesn't show favoritism. It says that he's long-suffering, he's patient, not willing that any should perish, but that everyone would come into order and life. He wants it with every single person. 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. You say, why does it have to be Jesus? Why why do I have to talk about Jesus? Why can't it just be God? Why can't it be lowercase g? Why can't it be any g? What up, g? Why can't it be any of that? Beth Grant, who who started um, Project Rescue, and some of the stuff they do is just so difficult. People, women who've been prostituted, and there's babies born in brothels, and so one of the things they were doing was like providing night care for the kids, because otherwise they would be under the bed while their mom is servicing another client. So they take care of their children. They do all kinds of stuff. That's how I first learned about the issue of, of human trafficking. And it's exploded. It's really gone around the world. They've seen a lot of ministry uh, spring up and, and, and go and take care of of the situation. But she was talking with some, some secular folks about, you know, this thing could really take off if you just leave Jesus out of it. Just leave Jesus out of it. You can raise more money. You'll get more backers. You'll have more funding. You can, just the, you'll get more volunteers, more people. Wouldn't, and she's like, leave Jesus out of it. How do you, how do you, how do you throw money at a problem like that. When somebody has been raped 15 to 20 times a day for a decade, how do you bring healing to that by throwing money at it? You take Jesus out of that. You take all of the power out. Man, we don't need more religion. and We don't need more money. We need more Jesus. We need more order. We need to get out of chaos. But he's the last place we look. And we get mocked. For pushing Jesus. But there's no other name. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You say, well, that's just, that's so narrow. Narrow is the way that leads to life, is what Jesus said. And he said, few there be that find it. Well, that's just so, that's just so intolerant. Well, if there's one key that opens the door and you want the door open, do you want me to tell you, hey, any key will work, right? Here, here, where's my car keys? Oh, any car key will do, right? That's good news, actually. There's no other name. There's no other provision. Romans 10, 9, 10, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have believed in? 
How can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. There's no other method than making disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission is this. Go out into all the world and make disciples. Don't just like throw some tracks out there. Don't just do a commercial on the radio, right? We need missionaries. We need people on the ground. People have real relationships with the people in the town that they're ministering to. I believe in short-term mission trips. I think they're awesome. They're a great supplement. But if you don't have people on the ground to make disciples, it's not going to last very long. We need people to say yes to Jesus' call to make disciples. And listen, Christianity is the most, listen, all the young people, anybody under, okay, how about anybody under 30, just listen real tight. Christianity is the most boring thing in the world. If you do it half-hearted. When you get just enough of the gospel to become inoculated to the disease, man, that is it's so boring. That's why this guy's falling asleep on. If somebody nods off next to you, just feel free to slap them right in the face. But if you will give it everything, if you'll give him your whole heart, there is an adventure that makes any job you do exciting. I did data entry for the Cherokee Nation for a couple of years. Data entry. You know what data entry is? 10 cans of fruit, 10 cans of corn. That is not fun. Did that for two years. One of the most exciting times of my life because I didn't show up to go 10 cans of corn. I showed up and I took anointing oil and I rubbed it on the seats of my coworkers. And I said, God, let today be the day she says yes to you. Let today be the day that I get an opportunity to share Christ with him. And for two years, I kept sowing. I kept sowing. I saw nothing. I got some prophetic words for people. God told me you were doing this Tuesday night at such and such with so and so. And they still didn't change. And when I moved to Massachusetts several, several years later, I got a call from one of them. And they said, Hey, I just want you to know I gave my life to Christ, and I'm living right. And my boyfriend gave his life to Christ. We're not sleeping together anymore outside of marriage, and he's living right. And so-and-so gave their life to Christ, and they're living right. And so-and-so gave their life to Christ. I said, will anybody in the department not get saved? They said, well, we had, we had a girls' night out, so there was a revival in town, so we took the new girl to the revival, and she got saved, too, so. Listen, it doesn't matter what your job is. If you're waiting for the perfect job, 
man, listen, it, it ain't going it, to, it probably won't happen. You might be one of the 1% tile that gets that awesome job. But if you are, but if your purpose doesn't come from your job, it comes from your identity and your creator, man, you've got a different mandate. You've got a different reason to get up in the morning. You've got a different value set. It changes everything. It changes everything. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.2, he says, And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. This is for everybody. You're not a disciple until you make a disciple that makes a disciple. Coming to church doesn't make you a disciple. You're not a disciple until you make a disciple who makes a disciple. It's transgenerational. We're not called to sit. We're called to go and make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. There's no other name. There's no other provision. There's no other method. And Paul said this. In Romans 15, 20, he says, It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. I love the fact, I mean, I grew up in the Bible Belt, man. I came up here to find people who had never heard it before. I'm on a campus with 100 nations. I met this gal from China, and she says, she says, yeah, she says, I've heard about Jesus. I know about Jesus, but I want to know Jesus. And she introduced me to a couple of her freshman friends from China, international students. She says, uh, another one, uh, she, she decided to come on her hike, and then all three of them went to our retreat um, at the end of September. And uh, Carrie, this one, uh, she started coming to our Bible study, and I literally watched her open the Bible for the first time in her entire life. She'd never, she'd never opened a Bible before in her entire life. There's a lot of people like that. There's a lot of people you work with who may have never, ever, 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 ever read a chapter in the Bible in their life. I meet students at UMass who have never been in a church in their life. Rich, let me give you a couple quotes, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close. The guy who started Salvation Army, William Booth, said this. While women weep as they do now, I'll fight. While little children go hungry, I'll fight. While men go to prison in and out and in and out as they do now, I'll fight. While there's a drunkard left, while there's a poor lost girl on the streets, where there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight. I'll fight to the very end. <clears throat> Leonard Ravenhill said this, today Christians spend more money on dog food than missions. William Carey said, to know the will of God, we need an open Bible and an open map. Hudson Taylor, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered, it is a command to be obeyed. Jim Elliot, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. <clears throat> C.T. Studd, this dude was a stud. Some wish to live within the sound of a chapel bell. I wish to run a rescue mission within a yard of hell. 
Oswald Smith said, the mission of the church is missions. Oswald Smith also said this, we talk of the second coming, half the world has never heard of the first. Forty-two percent of the world is unreached. Three point one five billion are lost with limited to no access to the gospel. Ninety-seven percent of Christian money goes to the to Christian places. How many unreached people groups can you name? How many do you pray for? Are you all in? All right, let's pray. Close your eyes first tonight. Bow your head. I knew there were some people here this morning that were in chaos themselves. And you've found not that Christianity hasn't worked, but that you haven't honestly given your life totally to Jesus. One day we'll give an account of everything that we've ever done before God. And the good news is that Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross. And we can stand before God with a clean rap sheet. We can stand before God with, with no faults because of what he did on Calvary. And the rest of my life is a yes, thank you, Jesus. It's gratitude. Once I accept that sacrifice. Maybe you prayed a prayer before, but you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus. And you know that's why. You're running towards chaos. You're running towards reflex. You're running towards hedonism and what feels good. But your life is a wreck and you know it. And you know he's the answer. And right now today you're like, you know what? I've had enough chaos. I'm going to look back. At my creator, I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, just look up at me right now. Make sure my eyes lock with you. Is that you? Yeah, okay. Somebody else? I'm looking at my rights. Is that you? Are you saying yes right now? On my left, is there anybody? Are you saying yes? Are you saying yes? Yeah. Okay. Praise the Lord. If you looked up at me or you wanted to look up at me and you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, let's just pray right now. Just everybody pray with me. Just say, just say Dear Jesus, I'm done with chaos. I want you to take all of my life. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and you rose from the dead. And I ask you to fill me with your spirit to face the chaos in my life right now. I pray for clarity of mind and that all the darkness would be dissipated. You bring order to my private world and help me bring order to my public world. Jesus' name.
Listen, in our movement, in Chi Alpha Nation, every few years we have something called the World Mission Summit. And we challenge students. We challenge students to give a year to missions and consider a lifetime. No emotional appeal, not some long drawn out thing. And I know we've got some piano and a little emotional right here, okay? Don't let that move you. Let the Holy Spirit move you. I like it. Keep it going. Yeah, good. <laughs> but we just asked them point blank. And I remember we've been you know, educating people, and every meal was with a missionary for this conference. We had some great speakers and stuff. But that night, we called for, for people to sign a form and say, hey, listen, by, by God's grace, I'm going to give a year to missions and, and consider a lifetime. We had about 6,000 people in the room, in the arena. 6,000 people. 2,000 students said yes. One-third of them said, I'll give a year and consider a lifetime. Not, well, if you feel a little bit away from the Lord and you just like to silently, without anyone looking, kind of say, well, I could use a, a little extra. No, this was like, sign up, we'll follow you, <laughs> we'll send you stuff, we'll get you ready to go. Point blank, would you give a year and consider a lifetime of mission service? Would you do it for the kingdom? Would you do it for the kingdom? challenge. I dare you. Man, you're in your 20s. What's a year? What's a year for the kingdom, for eternity? What's a year? Some of you, maybe God wants to stretch you and you're like, you're like, well, I, I don't, I don't feel like God wants me to go overseas, but I want to do something extraordinary for the kingdom. I want to do something extraordinary for missions. One of my supporters, we had a car go south, and we ended up taking a Greyhound bus back home one year. We were without a car, just felt like God said, take the Greyhound, get there, do your thing, and, and, and go home. So we did it. We didn't know. We, we were just without a car. And one of my supporters heard about it and said that God had been challenging them to give somebody a car. And they heard about it, and they bought us a car. They literally bought us a car. And we were like, oh my gosh, this is like, we didn't know what we, you know, we just felt like the Holy Spirit said to do this. What's incredible was that a couple of weeks later, they owned a business and there were some lights on their property they'd been paying on for nine years. And the electric company had been overbilling them by several lights. And they found out about it just a couple of weeks after they stepped out in faith to give that extraordinary gift. And the electric company paid them back $13,000 in back pay for electric. There's no, I'm not saying that's going to happen to you. In fact, it usually doesn't. But I'm just saying, like, there's, you can't outgive God. And there's nothing too extraordinary for the kingdom. And there's nothing, there's no gift too big for the king. It's about him. It's about his glory. It's about his kingdom. And I think I've said enough. Hey, hey, 